All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is our weekly wrap up where I'll be breaking down the Falcons most recent roster moves, as well as the tidbits from their assistant coach press conferences, as well as getting into my conspiracy theory over whether or not the Falcons were truly interested with a quarterback at the top of the draft. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcons.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at Falcons, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And before we get into today's Locked On Falcons episode, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson podcast, where NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you that national perspective. They've already gone through every division, giving you their draft grades, they're talking about the schedule and they're going to continue to cover all 32 teams from that national perspective on the Peacock and Williamson podcast as we get through the rest of this summer. So definitely check it out. Find Peacock and Williamson on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So guys, today's episode is our weekly wrap up, which is going to be a probably regular feature towards the ends of the week's on the lockdown Falcons. We did one last week and, and talked about the most recent press conferences from the assistant coaches and any tidbits that stood out to me that I wanted to discuss further. We have some more uh, coming from some of the press conferences like TJ Yates and Gary Emanuel and uh, Ted Monashino and uh, Frank Bush. We got some roster moves that the Falcons made this week, some camp bodies that you might say, but you know, that will allow us to talk a little bit further about some of the depth and competition at the tight end position along the offensive line as well. And then we'll sort of wrap things up with hopefully will be the, the final time we get to talk about this. Uh, you know, the idea that the Falcons might have taken a, a quarterback had a certain quarterback in this case, Trey Lance been there. Uh, at number four overall instead of Kyle Pitts. And we'll, we'll put a button on that issue. We'll get in a little bit of my conspiracy theory. There's been tidbits of information from a video that the Falcons dropped, a mini movie that they called it uh, of their draft and the reaction to the 49ers taking Trey Lance at that number three overall selection and seeing the reaction in some people's eyes, confirming that they were never in on the Trey Lance. You got a report from ESPN talking about maybe they would have taken Trey Lance. So we'll get into all of that later on today's episode. But without further ado, let's sort of jump into the three roster moves that the Falcons made this week. They signed tight end Parker Hess. They claim center slash guard Sam Jones off of waivers from the Indianapolis Colts, and they cut kicker Elliot Fry. I think that leaves the Falcons with two roster spots on their 90-man roster available. Hess is an interesting player because he played defensive end at Iowa. I remember seeing him in passing when I was focused on the other Iowa edge rushers over the last couple of years, like Anthony Nelson and AJ Epinesa. So he was one, one ended up being the number two guy there um, and consistently flashing there. But he wound up signing with the Tennessee Titans as an undrafted free agent. They converted him to a tight end. He spent the past two years on the Titans practice squad based off his pro football focus preseason grades in 2019. He graded out pretty well as a blocking tight end that year and graded poorly as a pass catcher. So I think much like Ryan Becker, uh, he's going to come in and compete to be sort of the heir apparent as the pure blocking tight end uh, that the Falcons will develop. And I do wonder what this new regime is going to think of, say, Jaden Graham, who's a holdover from the pre 
previous regime. And Graham was a player that we talked about a lot last off season, uh, given the flashes that he showed, uh, when he was an injury replacement for Austin Hooper in 2019, the fact that he graded out very well as a blocker that season and also had that athleticism and upside as a pass catcher and sort of seeing him as a potential number two, long-term number two tight end, but then seeing the regression a year ago in 2020 where his blocking dropped off and he basically was a non-factor in a passing game. And I don't know where that leaves Graham at this point in time. You know, I, I still think he would be a great candidate for that role that I envisioned uh, last year, which was the long-term number two, because he's going to give you that plus value, not only as a blocker, but also as a wide receiver, which is ideally what you want in a number two tight end, particularly in this offense where you're going to play as much, you know, 12 personnel uh, and, and plus uh, as, as you want. And having that guy that can also be a, an asset, as a run blocker and a, a pass catcher, which is, you know, Lee Smith gives you blocking ability, but no pass catching ability. Hayden Hurst gives you pass catching ability, but no blocking ability. And so you want somebody ideally in that spot, um, sharing time with Kyle Pitts that can do both. So, you know, right now I would sit here and say, looking at the tight end position, uh, conflicting with something I said earlier this offseason when I saw Lee Smith as a camp body because, you know, I assumed that the Falcons would be a lot more aggressive, uh, you know, filling out some of the depth issues this offseason. Uh, but I was wrong in that. Uh, won't be the first time. Won't be the last time. So I, I look at the Falcons tight end position. If I'm projecting their roster, I would say Pitts, Hurst, and Lee Smith will almost certainly be all be kept. Jaden Graham's on the bubble. Um, but I'm right now leaning towards him making it because of that upside and that potential. And so I think guy like Hess and Ryan Becker are competing probably for a practice squad spot. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if they showcase enough high level blocking ability this summer. And Graham does not that they could wind up. One of those guys could wind up leapfrogging him to be the tight end four on the depth chart. And the other guy potentially making the practice squad as for Sam Jones, he was a six round pick for the Broncos in 2018. I don't really recall him at Arizona state. Um, you know, he was six, five, three Oh five, but has extremely short arms, 31 inches. And he probably primarily left guard at college, but the Broncos drafted him because of that arm length, you know, and, and we're projecting him more as a center. You know, that arm length is like first percentile. Only five players have measured shorter arms according to mock draftable since 1999. Although their arm length data, I think is pretty skimpy prior to 2010. So that's really going back to 2010 instead. So with Jones, he basically had a red shirt year that first year with the Broncos in 2018 game, got cut the following year, spent 2019 on the Cardinals practice squad, then finished uh, this past year in 2020 on the Colts practice squad. They resigned him after the season and then wound up cutting him after the draft and the Falcons claimed him. You know, I don't necessarily see Jones making the roster, but I certainly see him in the mix for being a practice squad player. He's in the mix with a bunch of guys that are sort of center guard versatile, like the undrafted free agent at NC State, Joe Skullterp. Obviously, Josh Andrews, they signed in that regard. Skullterp also has short arms. And, and for those of you guys that don't necessarily understand you know, why does arm length matter? It can be overrated. It can be underrated in, in a lot of ways. You know, it, it matters, I think, a lot more for tackles than it does for interior guys because edge rushers tend to be longer and can use that length against tackles that have short arms much better. Um, and so if you have longer arms, you can at least, in theory, better conflict it if your technique and, and all that stuff is right. There are defensive tackles that do have long arms uh, that are high-level pass rushers. Guys like Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox are sort of at the top of the list. But typically, length is not a big part of interior defensive lines frames. They tend to be shorter, squattier guys. 
um, and typically length when it comes to interior defensive linemen, D tackles is more associated with holding the point of attack and, and, and playing the run and, and two gapping, which I think is partially why a guy like Tyler Davidson leapfrog Deidre Sanat as the Falcons preferred nose tackle, because he has that length, the two gap in the Falcons sort of hybrid three, four, five, two, uh, defense and Deidre Sanat is much more of a short arm. You know, he's a T-Rex, uh, penetrator. Um, so, you know, there are, th- when it comes to arm length, there are certain thresholds that you won't find too many very successful offensive tackles or offensive guards under those thresholds. Uh, you know, I think for offensive tackles around like 33 and a quarter inches, interior guys is about 32 and a quarter inches. You know, there are guys that have success with shorter arms than that, but they tend to be outliers more than that. Uh, so, you know, typically the way the NFL teams treat it, the shorter your arms, the closer to the ball they move you. So because centers typically don't have to deal as much with one-on-one blocking responsibilities. So you can better get away with having shorter arms. You're not going to get exposed as much having shorter arms playing center than you would the further you move towards the tackle. Uh, So I'm sure many of you are sitting here baffled by how I was able to get, you know, seven minutes of, of conversation and content out of two camp body signings. But, you know, clearly you're not a regular here on the Locked On Falcons podcast, but we're going to continue today's episode and, and talk about uh, some of the depth issues at the linebacker position in particular, gleaning some information from the press conferences from the various Falcons assistant coaches earlier this week. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online gives you all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. And there's no time like the month of May to get started at bet online. The second leg of the triple crown, the Preakness is tomorrow NBA and NHL playoffs, as well as the French open all begin this week. And of course, baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online. And it's not just sports bet online, even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. You can get real time updated odds and props on on homes, anything you can imagine. Just head over to the website, use your mobile device and sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you deposit 200 bucks, you you get a hundred dollars in free money to play with bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So we got some assistant coach pressers this week, as we did a week ago. Uh, we got them from offside linebackers, coach Ted Monashino, uh, inside linebackers, coach Frank Bush, passing game specialist, TJ Yates and defensive line coach, Gary Emanuel with Yates. You know, we got a better idea of what his actual job is from that presser. He'll be working with the skill guys on offense, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, running backs in the in terms of the passing game. Again, that's not super specific, but I kind of was assuming that he was going to be a, like a de facto assistant uh, quarterbacks coach to Charles London. And he might serve in that role from time to time, but it doesn't appear that it's going to be his primary role. Uh, didn't glean too much from Gary Emanuel's press conference. You know, he's a guy that had a lot of success at the collegiate level, coaching up guys and, and, and having an NFL pipeline develop from Purdue to the NFL in terms of pass rushers in the early part of the century, but his times in the NFL haven't been a fruit. They, they talked a little bit about Robert Mathis, but Robert Mathis was well-developed by the time Gary Emanuel showed up to Indianapolis. From Frank Bush, you know, the biggest thing I gleaned from his presser is that he's originally from Athens, Georgia, grew up a Falcons fan, seemed fairly excited about the idea of potentially uh, winning a Super Bowl for his hometown team. Um, notably, what I took from both Bush and Monashinos was, you know, which linebackers that they'll be, you know, coaching, right? You know, basically, Monashino will be the outside linebackers coach working with the edges. Bush will be more the off-ball inside linebackers guy. Notably, Michael Walker is going to be with Bush's group. 
Ade Ogundeji is going to be with Manashino's group, which we haven't got to him as far as the scouting reports goes. And I haven't really watched him since the draft week. And so my opinion might slightly change, but based off of that initial tape study, I didn't really see Ogundeji as an edge. I don't see him as having a lot of upside there. I feel like he would be better served bulking up and, and playing more as a five tech. You know, I, for me, his comp was more of a Malachi Goodman type of player than necessarily an Alden Smith, though. I know athletically, when you look at his testing, um, they tested similar. He tested similarly to Alden Smith. It's not because he's a bad athlete. I just don't think he's the style of athlete you want as an edge rusher and then playing that outside linebacker role. But you know, beggars can't be choosers and the Falcons need bodies at that outside linebackers role. But it does seem like based off of hearing those press conference that Dante Fowler and Barkevis Mingo are going to be the starting outside linebackers for the Falcons this year. And I had assumed Walker would potentially be one of those outside linebackers playing that same linebacker spot, but he might wind up being relegated more as an inside linebacker, off ball linebacker playing behind Foye Olakun as a will linebacker and potentially being groomed behind Olakun to potentially replace him as a starter in 2022, given that Olakun is a free agent after the season. Jacob Tuity Mariner will also be with the outside linebackers and the sound like Steven means will be with that group as well. Despite the fact that his role last year is much more of that five tech interior defensive lineman that I'm talking about. Ogundeji being more of a fit uh, for the Falcons. You know, the other thing that I also learned is the Falcons refer to their Russian as a Jack. I've seen it also as a buck linebacker and have referred to it as such this off season, but apparently it's Jack. I can't remember whose press conference said that, but they mentioned it offhand about Jack. I, I want to say it was Frank Bush. Um, and so those distinctions, the same linebacker, you hear me talk about these on future episodes, the same linebacker is the strong side linebacker. Traditionally in the three, four defense that Pease runs is more of a run defender coverage guy than a true pass rusher. Um, the Mike linebacker is the middle linebacker, the will linebacker is the weak side linebacker. Both guys are inside off ball linebackers. Their roles aren't going to change too much schematically from the shift from Dan Quinn to the, uh, the Dean P's defense. You know, I don't think the Sam linebacker is going to change all that much because the four, three under is kind of like a hybrid, um, three, four scheme. And given all the five, two, three, four stuff that the Falcons have run the last couple of years, you know, it's not going to be that much of a difference from what you have seen those guys like Devondre Campbell, et cetera, do the last couple of years. So, you know, that's a guy that typically plays on the line of scrimmage will set the edge against the run to, against the run will cover primarily in zone and dropping into the flat. We'll get some opportunities to rush a quarterback, but you've seen with the DMPs defense in recent years, they have often sort of subbed out that sort of base Sam linebacker and put a designated pass rushing specialist at that spot, whether that was a cam wake or Elvis Doomerville. And obviously the Falcons don't really have that type of player. Now maybe they will later this summer. We can hope, but you know, that Jack linebacker, of the, these four designations is that true rusher. And this is what Terrell Suggs was. And this is what Fowler is going to be. And I think what's interesting about this linebacker group as a whole is, you know, all four of the potential starters that I'm, at least I'm penciling in and Fowler, Mingo, Ola and Jones, none of those guys are guaranteed to return to the team in 2022. Walker is really the only guy of this entire linebacker group. And we'll probably wind up keeping like seven or eight of these guys. Um, that is under contract for next year. I know Deion Jones is, is technically under contract. He signed through the 2023 season. But as I outlined on a March 30th episode talking about his restructure, the Falcons could very easily 
really trade Deion Jones next year and not really bat an eye, especially when you look at his cap hit in 2022 being upwards close to $19 million, basically meaning that Deion Jones is going to have to have a really good year in order for the team to merit keeping him at that price tag without having to do another restructure, an extension, or trading him to dump that salary outright. And I do think unlike another $19 million guy in, in Dante Fowler this year, that they will get takers, more takers from Deion Jones. Or, you know, given reports that the Falcons actually did already shop Deion Jones this offseason, I don't think if he doesn't come off of a better season, then I don't think they're going to be as married to the idea of keeping him if the price is wrong or whatever. Because they'll take whatever they can get at that point in time. So I think it's going to be interesting with, you know, particularly with the linebacker group in particular, but I think the entire roster, you're going to see a lot of guys auditioning for jobs. And I think that's especially true on the defensive side of the ball. You know, the Falcons are going to have limited cap space. They're only going to have like 30 or so guys under contract heading into next offseason. So I do expect the team to be a lot more aggressive next March, creating cap space and being more proactive in free agency than they were this offseason, especially if they are able to come off a winning season in 2021 heading into 2022. So when I look at like the 25 or so guys that I expect will be on the final roster, on defense, at least looking at the current roster, you know, I basically see 10 guys that I have some degree of confidence will be on the team in 2022. And given the relatively low expectations that we're going to have overall for this defense, uh, this upcoming season, um, it's going to make sense that if they do have some money to burn next year, that they will invest a lot of it into that side of the ball. Now, the number isn't significantly higher for the offensive side of the ball because it might be like 12 or 13 guys that I feel confident will be on the team next year. But that number does include a lot more starters. Like if I'm projecting what this team's needs are going to be 10 months from now, you know, on offense, they might need like two, maybe three starters on that side of the ball. But most of their issues are going to be filling out depth, right? I feel like on defense, they're going to need not only depth, but they're also going to potentially need starters. And, you know, it will depend again on how players like Ola Kuhn and Deion Jones and Mingo and Harmon and Fabian Moreau, et cetera, play this year. And they can potentially check some of those at least starter boxes off uh, the, the Falcons potential checklist. But basically all of that to say is I think it's a make or break year for a lot of guys, particularly on the defense side of the ball. So we will uh, wrap up today's episode, getting into the conspiracy, talking about whether or not the Falcons we're really interested in taking quarterback uh, and we'll react to some of that stuff that came out earlier this week with the video. And hopefully this will be the last time we'll talk about it on the locked on Falcons podcast. So we will get into that coming up on today's episode, but of course guys, NHL playoffs are literally right around the corner uh, within 24 hours of you listening to this podcast, there will be a playoff game for the NHL uh, being played. And that means that you should check out your favorite daily podcast devoted to your favorite NHL team, or you can check out locked on NHL on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So guys, did you know that built bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market? It has nine delicious flavors. Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me, or you prefer mint brownie cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter, brownie, salted caramel, coconut, or raspberry. There's something for everyone. And there's also occasional limited time flavors too. You can try them all with a mix box, getting two each of all nine flavors because built bars contain 100% real chocolate. So they taste just like a candy bar and they're not just tasty. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high and fiber. I like to use Built Bars as low calorie meal replacements for breakfast and lunch, and it's just in the nick of time 
because it's summer beach season and we're all going to be getting out of house soon and we'll be headed to those beaches and we got to have that beach body. And however you want to use built bars, whether you're using them to get into shape for beach season, or you want to use them as an energy boost pre or post workout, all you got to do is head over to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked 15 and you get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. So initially when I was planning this episode earlier in the week and, and earlier, you know, yesterday, I was planning on spending the bulk of today's episode getting more deeply into this topic. But by the time I was really sitting down to record it, I was like, look, who cares at this point in time? It doesn't really matter all that much. Kyle Pitts was the Falcons pick. That's the only thing that really matters at this point in time. However, you know, in going back in preparation for this episode, going back and listen to the episode I did on March 24th, where I broke down the financial reasons, the financial perspective, while Kyle Pitts made the most sense at number four, I kind of decided, look, man, at this point in time, let's let it go. Right. You know, you got the report from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN on Wednesday saying that if Trey Lance had been there at number four, it could have potentially swayed the Falcons decision to take Kyle Pitts, you know, and and that's what I've come to believe at this point in time. And I don't know if the Falcons would have taken Lance. I suspect they would have, but ultimately we'll probably never know that answer. So it just basically goes down into a very interesting and compelling what if scenario. Um, but basically, as I look back at the timeline of events and summarizing things, the Falcons enter the offseason. I think they were very much invested in the idea of taking quarterback. That's why, you know, we get reports from Jeff Schultz on March 11th saying that they haven't talked about extending Grady Jarrett. You know, on March 16th, they restructure Matt Ryan. Jeff says that they did so reluctantly. The 49ers Dolphins trade happens on March 26th. And we get reports that the Falcons or that the 49ers called the Falcons first and the Falcons weren't willing to pull the trigger on that. And so the idea if they were completely sold on Matt Ryan at that point in time, I feel like they probably would have made that trade. If they were planning on taking Kyle Pitts at that point in time, they probably would have made that trade. But they didn't. And seemingly because they weren't. Um, and basically told the 49ers that they weren't willing to make that trade until draft night because I kind of think they wanted to see if the quarterback of their dreams would have been there for the taking at pick number four. If you weren't planning on taking a quarterback, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that you wouldn't, you would say no to that trade. But shortly after that trade on March 28th, we get the Deion Jones restructure. Um, A month later, we get reports from Albert Breer on April 26th basically saying with Deion Jones after failing to, after shopping them, you know, and him and Jake Matthews that after failing to shop them, they wound up restructuring them. And seemingly that seems to be the same approach that they're taking with Julio Jones, that they, they want someone to come along and unburden them of Julio Jones's contract for the right price. And if they, someone does, they'll trade them. If not, then they'll wind up keeping him. It looks like to me, when I look at the timeline events, I don't think the Falcons knew on March 26th what they were going to do with the draft at number four, right? Very few teams at that point in the offseason know what they're going to do. That's evidenced by the reports about the 49ers in that they initially initiated that trade leaning towards Mac Jones with the idea that they're going to take Mac Jones, but eventually they were swayed towards taking Trey Lance by the time the draft rolled around. And sure, you know, on March 26th, the Jaguars knew they were taking Trevor Lawrence. That's, you know, the power of having the number one overall pick. You can fairly early in the process figure out what you're going to do. And that that 
because everybody knew the Jaguars were taking Trevor Lawrence at that point in time, that gave the Jets a bit of a head start on zeroing in on Zach Wilson, which all the reports at the time of that 49ers trade indicated that that was the direction that the Jets were leaning towards. But then you hear the various reports that at the time when the 49ers pulled the trigger on that trade, they were moving up to number three because they thought there was a chance that the Jets would pass on Zach Wilson. Um, and so that suggests that even then that the jet, the jets weren't 100% sold on Wilson at that point in the, in the park. So what I'm sitting here saying is not that on March 26th, the Falcons were definitely going to take a quarterback and why that's why they turned down the trade. But I think they were still very, very open to that idea. And then once the 49ers jumped ahead of them and it became very clear that the quarterbacks were going to go one, two, and three after that point in the draft, the Falcons since then, similar to what the 49ers did, zeroing in on Trey Lance, I think over the next 34 days, the Falcons zeroed in on Kyle Pitts. And the fact that the Arthur Smith called it uh, in that video uh, where, you know, Terry Fontenot gives him a fist bump because he basically tells him, oh, you called it with them taking Trey Lance a month ago. And guess what? A month before the draft, 34 days, was when the 49ers made that trade. So Arthur Smith thought at that time that they were going up for Lance, which gave the Falcons, you know, four to five weeks um, to prepare for the contingency that their quote unquote guy in Trey Lance wouldn't be there, which is why I think their reaction on that video to the 49ers taking Lance is relatively low key. Like I, I see some people acting like they're celebrating the fact that they're taking Trey Lance, which is not what I see at all. And I, I know, you know, the amount how different people see, read body language and words and whatnot is infinite. You have a, an infinite number of ways to interpret that stuff. But I feel like they're reacting, at least the way I see it, is I feel like they're reacting like a team that spent four to five weeks taking bets on who they thought the 49ers were ultimately going to take because that was the unknown. They knew they were taking a quarterback, but they're reacting like, oh, like Arthur Smith bet Trey Lance, probably somebody else bet Mac Jones, somebody, you know? And so their reaction is like, oh, fist bump, Arthur Smith, you know, you won the $50 pot or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I don't feel like they're celebrating that. Oh, Kyle Pitts is going to be the pick there. I, I feel like that's fan bias. You know, I think fans tend to think in the ways of where there's one player that's a savior and therefore teams live and die with every pick. And I just don't think normal people are that dramatic as fans are right. If you had a four to five week heads up about something happening and then it happens, a normal person isn't falling down on their knees, cursing the football gods. Like, Oh my God, why isn't Trey Lance there? Nor are they bouncing off the walls, hooting and hollering saying like, Oh my God, Kyle Pitts is going to be our pick. Like the Falcons knew Kyle Pitts was going to be there. All right. So I, I feel like, you know, people's people are reading certain things into that video that I'm not seeing, but you know, I know some people will sit here and say that all of this Aaron is because you just refuse to admit that you were wrong. Look, I will happily admit I was wrong about Justin Fields. Right. But I don't think I was wrong about the Falcons being at least for a large part of the off season open to the idea to taking a quarterback, whether Clearly, they were not necessarily as open to that idea by the time the draft rolled around. And hindsight tells me that if they were, it could have been Trey Lance, but we'll never know. Right. So the issue is, is obviously for me, looking back at this pick, we're always going to look at it from a Justin Fields standpoint. And because I think Justin Fields is going to be an absolute stud in this league, you know, there is a level of disappointment from me with that pick. It's not that I'm butthurt or anything like that. I just, when I look at Justin Fields, I see a player in a lot of ways that has similar parallels to 
Deshaun Watson. I know Deshaun Watson is, is not someone that we talk into public discourse nowadays, given the allegations against him in a positive light, but from a pure football standpoint, just think of what we thought about Deshaun Watson, you know, four months ago, you know, I feel like Justin Fields is going to have similar parallels to that with Deshaun Watson, where we're going to look back and all those teams that look back on, on, on that 2017 draft and pass on Deshaun Watson, are going to be kicking themselves, you know, very talented players, you know, in terms of Fields and Watson that for reasons NFL teams passed on them. And I think we'll wind up kicking themselves in that 2017 draft, 11 teams passed on Deshaun Watson, not counting the chiefs who took Patrick Mahomes, seven of the other 10 teams that have pat that passed on Deshaun Watson that draft have since used a number one pick on a quarterback in the next four drafts, right? The three exceptions are not teams that weren't, didn't have major turnover at the quarterback position over the last four years. They've just, use other means to make changes other than using first round picks to make those changes. Those three teams are the Titans, the Panthers and the saints. So I wonder how many of the 10 teams that passed on Justin Fields over the next three to five years are going to use future first round picks on quarterbacks. And again, I know people will say a high, and that's just further proof that you're butthurt about the pick. And it's like, I'm not butthurt about the pick guys. I'm just planting my flag now and saying that, you know, four plus years from now, if, if Justin Fields is a top 10 quarterback, I will be saying, I told you so. But it gets back to something I've talked about before, right? And the, and the fact that the Falcons did pass on a quarterback is basically goes boils down to Arthur Smith betting on himself. And it's not a direct correlation because obviously there are multitude of reasons why teams fail. And I don't think it's simply because they didn't take Deshaun Watson. But of those 11 teams that did not take Deshaun Watson at 2017 draft, only Kansas City, New Orleans, and San Francisco have not changed head coaches since that 2017 draft. Those are the only three teams that were picking in the top 11 of that draft that still have the same coach that was sitting in the war room that day, passing on Deshaun Watson still around today in 2021. So, you know, I feel like in this case, we kind of need Arthur Smith to be Sean Payton. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I don't feel like the leash is as long as it would be had they taken a quarterback, taken the quarterback, they would have gotten the reset. They would have had the patience. They don't have that same level of patience now that they're not doing that. And so they have to find a way to make up for it. And by basically having the best offense in the league, a top five offense year after year after year. And it's not this, again, it's not to say that they can't pull that off. I certainly think they have the the potential to do so. They just got to go out there and do it. And, you know, my expectation at this point in time is that, you know, week one, we're going to go out there and beat the brakes off of the Eagles by dropping like a 30 burger on them. Like that's going to be my expectation every single week this year. And, and every game where, you know, they fail to score at least 27, 28 points to me is going to be a failure on that part. And so that's where it comes from, where you look back at the history of these teams passing on unquality quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's a bad bet, but it's certainly not a good bet based off at least the Deshaun Watson uh, comparison. So we'll see. Maybe Justin Fields falls flat on his face and is the next Mitch Trubisky. Maybe that's the case. And and so no one's going to be kicking themselves three to five years from now because Justin Fields turned out to be no better than Mitch Trubisky, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Dwayne Haskins, or any number of other, you know, failed early round picks. So we'll see how it all plays out, guys. That's Hopefully the last time we have to talk about whether or not the Falcons would have taken quarterback Kyle Pitts is the guy we're all in on Kyle Pitts. It's not to sit here and be like, Oh, Kyle Pitts has to be better than just, no, it's not none of that. It's just, this team has to be better. This team has to basically be a competitive team. We can't be in a situation 
going back to what some of the things we talked about, like the chargers where it's like, Oh, it's all good for a year or two. And then all of a sudden they go seven and 10 or seven and 11. Cause probably by that time we'll have 18 games, but they go seven and 11, seven and 10 or whatever, three years from now. And all of a sudden Arthur Smith's on the hot seat. You know what I'm saying? With an, an older quarterback or whatever the case may be. So that, that's the worry I have with, you know, we saw that with the chargers passing on, you know, those guys, Mahomes and Watson in 2017, I just don't want to see that repeat. I, basically, I'm sitting here saying, I feel like I've seen this movie before where teams have passed on a talented young quarterback at the top of the draft and then live to regret it. And I hope the Falcons aren't that team. And I think we have a chance to not be that team. I'm not going to be one of these super dramatic people like, oh, this regime is doomed to fail because they pass on it. No. That's just people being dramatic and wanting attention. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just sitting here saying like the threshold is high, right? This is not a slow rebuild and like, oh, well, they'll win seven or eight games this year and they'll win seven. You know, like that's not, no, you know, if if that was the plan, then you, you should have taken the quarterback. So that's what I'm sitting here saying, but that's it. Hopefully we won't have to talk about this anymore and we will continue talking about greater things here on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. And you can expect on Monday a scouting report on Richie Grant as we get probably two days of Locked on Richie Grant stuff to kick off next week as we move forward on this Locked on Falcons podcast. But as we move forward on Locked on Falcons, of course, you want to move forward every morning getting all the sports news that you need in under 20 minutes. And, of course, you can do so by checking out the Locked on Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski. Subscribe to the Locked on Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. If you guys have any feedback that you want to provide me, on anything that things I've talked about on today's episode, anything things I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. I suspect that this is not going to be the last time we talk about this because I'm sure there will be listener questions in the future that will want me to readdress this situation, but hopefully we're through it. Maybe the Falcons would have taken Trey Lance. Ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. They took Kyle Pitts. He's the guy. We're going to have a lot of fun watching Kyle Pitts this year. If that's the one takeaway you can take away from this, we're going to have a lot of fun watching Kyle Pitts this year. I'm looking forward to it. So there you guys have it. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend until then. Right. Like I know you guys listened to that episode and you're like, man, Aaron, for someone who's not butthurt, for someone who's not disappointed, you sounded pretty down on that episode. And it's like, yeah, I am down. It's not on the pick of Kyle Pitts. It's just like, had I known that I look back at hindsight over the last two months and I say, like, man, if if Kyle Pitts was going to be the pick, why weren't we more aggressive in free agents? That's what I'm butthurt about. Like, I'm looking at Joe Tooney. I'm like, Joe Tooney's got a cap hit of $4.5 million this year. I'm looking at Lee Smith. I'm looking at Cordero Patterson, $4.8 million. I'm looking at, man, we could have freed up, you know, an additional money, restructuring Deion Jones, restructuring Julio Jones, restructuring Grady Jarrett in the month of March. And we could have gotten Joe Tooney. And instead of drafting Jalen Mayfield at 68, we could have got Trey Sermon or something like that. Or we could have gotten a pass rusher. Joseph Osai or somebody like that. And like, I, I sit back in hindsight and I'm like, man, like that's, that's what I'm butthurt about. Like, man, like I don't have a problem with the Falcons taking out bits. I have a problem with the Falcons sitting out free agency and taking out bits is, is ultimately where I'm at. So like, that's the thing. If I'm, if I sound down on the Falcons, I'm like, man, we could have, we could have done some stuff earlier this off season. If this was the way we, we were to go, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'll never forgive this team for, for not signing Joe Tooney. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forgive this team. Oh man. It's, it's, you know, th- that's the thing, man. But yeah, there you guys have it. I'm, I'm done with my rant postscript rant here at the end. <laughs>